0: I've always taken the more methodical approach to franchising. There's a lot of companies out there that come out of the woodwork. They open 30, 50 stores within two, three years, and then they have a consolidation period. My goal is, yes, we want to hit the turbo thrusters, but you can't do that until you plug all the holes in your fuselage so that you're ready for takeoff. So I always believed in shoring up the system, you know, putting the wings on the plane first before you take off.
1: Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reborn podcast, the show designed to help you keep a pulse on the fast-changing world of brick and mortar. As the world reopens and operators race to meet the rising expectations and demands of experience-driven post-COVID consumers, it's more important than ever to stay ahead of the curve and understand the trends and technologies that will shape the future. In each episode, we'll interview successful operators, subject matter experts, and leading thought leaders who will share their insight to help you prepare yourself and your organization for what lies ahead. Here's your host, Bobby Marhamat, CEO of Radiant. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Matt Ancero. He is the founder of Wing It On. Man, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. As I told you guys in the pre-show, uh, I'm super excited to dig in. Great background, great brand, etc. I love the branding. Really want to dig in
0: here, got to learn more about you. But before we learn about the brand, let's start with you. Give us a little bit of background of how you got started and you know, your career journey and what got you here. Sure. Absolutely. So my original background is actually in finance, I studied investments and in markets in school and then took a job with an advisory firm called the Barnum Financial Group in my home state of Connecticut after I graduated. That was in late 2006, which looking back was probably the tail end of the early 2000s gold rush in the investment industry. We all know what happened a few years later. Yeah. yeah. Um, and stuff, anyways, I worked there for about a year and a half before leaving to help my father start a school supplies and technology company. When I left financial services in 2007, our firm had over 100 advisors on staff. And when I checked back in a year later uh, with my former boss, I was told that there were 15 people left in the office, all of which were senior advisors who had been there a decade or longer. Nobody was really investing with 22-year-old kids out of school. Go figure. <laughs> um, so I definitely jumped ship at the right time. Uh, so anyways, yeah, for sure. Anyways, we uh, launched a school supplies company in mid-2007, and by early 2010, we had sold it to a much larger competitor. I then spent about a year helping to merge the two companies and working with the warehouse on integrating logistics. Then they offered me the opportunity to work on the sales side of the industry for a bit, which I very quickly found out wasn't for me, and that's kind of when the foundation for Winging On started taking shape. Awesome. And tell us about Winging On. What brought you to, to start the company? What was the inspiration? And what was that early journey look like? I guess the origins go back to my teenage years when I was first becoming a fanatical chicken wing eater. Uh, There's a group of friends. We would get together every Sunday, watch the NFL games, eat chicken wings, watch football. The problem was there was no really great wings in my hometown that you could pick up fast. So we would argue about who was going to go make the 30 plus minute drive each way to one of our favorite wing joints and pick up that week's haul. So eventually I got tired of doing that. So I started making my own wings when I was in college and I would write down the recipes, test new flavors on my buddies, you know, get some feedback from them, make tweaks, et cetera. Yeah. And one weekend my buddy goes, you know, the wings you're making are better than the ones we used to go pick up. You should just open your own wing joint around here. I bet it would kill it. And then we won't have to go pick them up anymore. (laughs) And uh, at the time he said that, it just so happened that I was already in the process of thinking about what I wanted to do next. Yeah, and sales wasn't working out for me. So I started writing the business plan for what was to become Winging On literally that night when he put the idea in my head and we opened the doors eight months later. Uh, we were a bootstrap operation from the beginning. Yeah. The first store was in a former Spanish bodega in my hometown of Waterbury, Connecticut. I remember seeing the for lease sign, then uh, looking through the window and just seeing something shiny at the back of the store. I couldn't quite make out what it was. And then I realized it was a, a kitchen hood, a kitchen exhaust hood. And from the little bit of research, again, this is my first foray into food service. So I yeah. did a little bit of research. And what I found out is if you could find a second gen space with an exhaust hood, that it would save you a ton of dough. Wow. So I called the landlord that day and put in an offer. And um, the next phase was uh, getting contractors' quotes. I remember when I got my first contractors' quote to build that first store? Uh, taking one look at it and go, uh, nope, that ain't happening. I can't flood that. Uh, so we built that first store with a group of friends and family on a $35,000 budget. And uh, wow. that sounds insane today, but in 2011, somehow we pulled it off. I mean, we literally had family, friends pulling permits for us, which hopefully the statute of limitations is up on that one. <laughs> and we literally,
1: we literally did whatever we had to do to get that first store open. That is awesome, man. That's such a great story. And from there now, you're, you know, what's kind of the ethos of the company? How many locations
0: do you have? There's more there. Actually, we're opening our 13th brick and mortar next month. And we have one food truck called Wingin on Wheels. The ethos is pretty much since 2011 when I launched the first store. My mission for Winging on was to be the wing joint for wing nuts. Uh, focus on giving our fans a truly exceptional wing experience that's authentic to the way they do things in Buffalo. And uh, it starts with fresh, never frozen, classic wings cooked with a perfect crisp bottom and then tossed in award-winning sauces and dry rubs. Unlike some QSR, fast casual, takeout competitors, our buffalo sauce is actually made from scratch, fresh in store, as is our chunky blue cheese and our buttermilk ranch dressings. Our tagline is chicken like a champ. And now we could actually back that claim up, that tagline up, because this past year during Labor Day weekend... We went into Buffalo, New York, and uh, we took home the trophy for best traditional Buffalo sauce at the National Wing Festival, which blew a lot of people away because yeah, you know, Buffalo—that's the mecca of wings. That's where the wings are yeah. created, and we went up against some like truly legendary establishments, and uh, you know, we we're just humbled to have walked away with the trophy there. That is awesome, super awesome. The twelve locations are going your
1: thirteen. What's kind of next uh, as far as like, what's your growth plan?
0: Yeah. So actually at the beginning of this year, we just completed a merger and uh, became part of a company called Craveworthy Brands, which is a new shared services portfolio or hospitality group. It was launched by Greg Majewski, who's the former CEO of Jimmy John's. Okay. Uh, We've been, like I said, a bootstrapping brand. We're a merging brand. And we decided the time was right to seek strategic partnership and partner with the best of the best in our industry to take this concept to the next level. Because I think a lot of times people fall into the um, the entrepreneur's fallacy of being too proud of bootstrapping, right? And then you went up bootstrapping in perpetuity. And I kind of felt myself falling into that stage. And I knew that we have a narrow window. Chicken wings, when we first started in 2011, there weren't too many competitors it's starting to get a bit saturated, but I still think that we have a unique point of differentiation. And if we partner with the right people and lean into that, I think we have about a three to five year window to really capitalize on our potential. So as of right now, I think I told you we had twelve. We're opening our thirteen store plus one food truck, but we also had eighteen stores in our development pipeline. Great. Although now with the Craveworthy team helping to fuel our growth, the goal here, the stated goal, is to have over two hundred stores open and operating by twenty twenty eight. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so looks like your franchise thing to extend as well. How is,
1: what's your philosophy there? Like you want to have a mix of corporate and franchise at some of your locations. There, I mean, most of your locations probably are corporate right now, but love to hear from you.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you asked me. Um, One of the reasons I did the deal with Craveworthy, because we actually had a few other suitors in terms of strategic partnership last year, the deal with Craveworthy felt like home for me and for my franchisees, because Greg is not a suit. He's an operator. He's a restaurant operator. He still owns and operates 10 plus Jimmy John's. He's a franchisee of every brand that he owns. And those are the kind of people we want to partner with that speak the language of our operators. So, his goal, he and I align in the fact that we can't stand when these franchises sprout up and they just sign a million deals and they don't actually own and operate stores themselves. Themself. Our goal is never to have less than 10% of our stores be operated by the corporate team. So, that's kind of where we're at now. We're building a couple of new stores. One's going into uh, Lombard, Illinois, uh, near the corporate team in Chicago, and that should hopefully be opening uh, later this June. Awesome. Awesome. We got a good figure here in the West Coast. <laughs> For sure. We're coming me there, Awesome. What do you attribute to your success? I would say probably a mix of patience and just working with the right people, surrounding myself with people who are smarter than me. I've always taken the more methodical approach to franchising. There's a lot of companies out there that come out of the woodwork. They open 30, 50 stores within two, three years, and then they have a consolidation period. My goal is, yes, we want to hit the turbo thrusters, but you can't do that until you plug all the holes in your fuselage so that you're ready for takeoff. So I always believed in shoring up the system, you know, putting the wings on the plane first before you take off. So that just combined with before this partnership with Craveworthy, a lot of strategic hires. My partner, Justin, who's our CMO and our marketing guru, we and he and I have very opposing skill sets. He's very creative, technology oriented. I'm all operations and finance. We brought on a guy from a Fortune 100 company who really helped us to put CIS corporate systems in place that would help us scale. Really, just surrounding myself with people who kind of fill in those gaps where I'm weak has kind of been a big part of our success early on.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's key, right? Your team, your team is definitely key. You know, one of the big questions that we get for people that are aspiring to to open up more locations and and really become larger and larger entities is, you know, it's not all gravy, of course, but uh, business is hard. So what are some of the, you know, the biggest challenges that you faced kind of in the early days of building and, and how did you overcome them?
0: Biggest challenge in the early days is similar to everybody who goes through this journey of building a restaurant concept. They call it emerging brand hell. That period from <laughs> when you first tell people you're a franchise, which, you know, big whoop de doo you know, everybody can file and become a franchise, but until you have some traction and momentum, you're really nothing to nobody. I mean, yeah. the hardest part is if you put great operators in great locations and support them, you're 85% of the way to your success. So that challenge in those early years was to find great people who were willing to buy in. To this little up-and-coming wing joint out of connecticut you know but again if you take that methodical that patient approach to franchising where you don't have to go from zero to 100 overnight yeah uh, then you could wait you could say no to the wrong candidates you could bring in the right people people who fit the culture people who share your vision who share your passion for wings again we're the wing joint for wing nuts we don't want to have operators who don't really enjoy wings and they're just doing because yeah. it's the next hot thing so really again all goes back to patience and, you know, looking at your timeline and saying, is this something I'm willing to wait at or do I have to take a, a home run swing and hit a grand slam right away? Makes sense. Makes sense. As you think
1: about kind of, you know, hopefully I want to call this coming out of COVID, but as you think about your COVID days, what were some unique challenges that you had to face during that time?
0: Yeah, I mean, we took our lumps during COVID just like anyone in the food service industry did. But at we, you know, and On, we took it as a challenge, right, as a way to not just survive, but to improve and thrive coming out of the pandemic. Thankfully, pre-COVID, we had just invested in a major overhaul of our omni-channel digital suite, including mobile ordering and loyalty. So there were a lot of stories coming out during uh, the pandemic era of brands that never really, that you know, it was on their roadmap, but they never really got to it. Yeah. They we're scrambling to reverse engineer that piece. the puzzle. Yeah. thankfully, we had a really robust digital experience in place when the pandemic started. Looking back, I think the results of having that speak for themselves, as we reported unprecedented growth during those years, our same store sales increased 23% in 2020 and over 40% in 2021. Another challenge that we had, however, was labor. Again, no surprise in the restaurant industry. So we focused on ways to get more efficient with less staff, including adding the addition of uh, self-service kiosks that we put at all of our locations. Uh, This took a lot of the labor burden off of our underman Frontline Associates, so that they could focus on preparing orders and getting them out the door. Yeah. We also looked into an automated AI phone ordering system to further these in-store labor concerns. This is actually something that we're currently exploring a potential pilot of in the near future.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. As you think about kind of, you know, ensuring, I know one of the things that you guys have such a great brand, both from color scheme to like what the whole ethos of the brand is about now that you described it. What are some things that you're doing to like create that experience in your locations to be able to you know, compliment really your, your brand and all you're about that you describe on your website.
0: Yeah. So in store, our biggest challenge is game day pacification. Chicken wings, isn't. there's no food that's more intertwined with the sports world than chicken wings. Yeah. I mean, for example, on Sundays, our sales typically jump over 400% on the first weekend of NFL football. That's the only variable. You go from no football to football, sales <laughs> are up at 400%. But it wasn't just football. It was, you know, we would have these random super slam Saturday nights and I'd be like, well, what's going on? And then I'd go online and, you know, I checked like uh, ESPN and I'd see, oh, there's a huge boxing fight on, or there's a major MMA event going on. And for me, you know, I decided, okay, clearly we're intertwined with the events uh, that are going on in sports. So we started printing out the major event calendar from ESPN and posting that for our staff every week. So again, we don't have that pacification tool of alcohol. We're not a sports bar or full service. So we lean into more of like the visual auditory pacification. It's a brand standard that all of our customer areas have TVs that are tuned into relevant sports content, particularly NFL games and college games during football season. If we quote you a 15 minute wait, it might not matter too much on a Wednesday afternoon, but on football Sunday, every minute of the game that you miss while you're waiting for your food, it's painful. Oh, I best. So we always make sure we're cognizant of what's going on in the sports world. Uh, we also incorporate music into our customer waiting areas. And we have a partnership with uh, Atmosphere TV, which delivers uh, viral content that's specifically designed to be enjoyed without sound. So on days where there's no engaging sports content, we leverage the one-two punch of our music package combined with the Atmosphere content.
1: That's great. You've taken the full spectrum of in location technologies to heart, which is great. It's super important nowadays, especially with that convergence of online, to offline, and what consumers expect these days. They really want to work with brands that really are creating that experience, are different, are bold. And so it's great to hear that. It's great to hear that. There's some of the technologies that you talked about, of course, self-service kiosks, even music, atmosphere, atmosphere is a great partner to us as well. As you think about you know all these technologies, what's important for the future? What are you thinking about from a technology standpoint to add? And and not necessarily you have to continue to add technology. Technology is more of an enabler to create that experience, right? But have you been thinking about any sort of new technologies to be able to add into the mix of things in your sort of locations?
0: I mean, yeah, there's no shortage of technology out there. It's almost analysis paralysis when you look at the the of technology, especially in restaurant tech. When I first started in 2011, if you had a POS system, you were cutting edge, right? Yeah. That was it. Like it was a POS system, and you know the printer in the back that printed out the tickets. That was at P- that. If you had that, you were a tech savvy restaurant operation. Now there's a whole plethora of options you can choose from. So what we look at is you know solutions that improve our customer experience without taking away from the service element. Customers right now they are not as concerned about speed of services they used to be. All the surveys that we're reading and stuff that's coming out is saying that customers are more concerned about order accuracy and the quality of the product than they are speed of service, which makes a lot of sense when you think, you know, it's 2023 and everybody has these great things called smartphones. I you know, mean, mm-hmm. they could do a few emails, you know, they could uh, entertain themselves in other ways, and they just want the order to come out right. So, you know, things like that automated AI phone ordering that I talked about earlier, a lot of people have asked me, like, well, do you think we feel like that takes away from the experience? Well, no, because if it increases our order accuracy... Yeah. you know, 30%, but it removes the human element. That's the feedback that we're getting from the industry is that that's what's important to customers right now is yep. making sure that they get what they ordered, you know, on time, hot and fresh and it tastes great. And if that means talking to a robot on the phone and as long as my order gets delivered to me on time and delicious, hey, I'm all for it.
1: That's what I care about. Yeah. But you got it. You got it. The number one question that we get, you know, is what is, you know, advice that you can give to someone that has their first location, second location, really looking to open up multiple locations? What are some of the things that they should watch for? What's some advice that you have from now, you know, getting as their team and a bunch kind of in the, in the hopper, if you will? I'd
0: say always put yourself in the customer's shoes, especially early on. The earlier you could put yourself in the customer's shoes, the better. Ask yourself, is this an experience that I would willingly opt into if it wasn't my restaurant? You know, we leverage things like our mystery shops to gain customer perspective, which a lot of people do. But I'm also a big fan of uh, in-person incognito days for the corporate staff. Whenever I'm traveling near one of our stores, I always call in an order and show up as if I was a customer just to see what that experience is like. Yeah. You know, if there's something that I didn't enjoy about the experience, it goes right to the top of our to-do list to fix. Because if you want to opt into the experience that you're providing to customers, then that's a red flag. And that's something that you should change before you hit the scale button. Oh, 100%. 100%. Absolutely. Matt, that was a wealth of information. Thank you so much for
1: sharing with us. I think before I let you go, uh, just any last words for what's next for wing it on? Anything that you want to share with what your plans are for the next few years uh, would be great for our our listeners
0: to know. Yeah, like I mentioned, now that we're with Craveworthy, we're going to be able to plug those holes and hit the exponential growth button that I was talking about. But so one thing that's kind of outside the box is, you know, we identified it as a potential uh, moonshot idea, so to speak, with the Birdie leadership team is becoming the first one in the QSR wing space to crack the code on drive throughs uh-huh. uh, If you notice, there's really nobody who does chicken wings out of a drive-thru yeah. for a host of reasons, right? Most notably, the time it takes to cook a nice crispy chicken wing. Uh, No one has really made any substantial strides in that area. Yeah, and our wings are award-winning, so obviously we can't trade off quality for speed of service. 100. But what we've been hearing, and as I mentioned before, is that you know the modern drive-through customer, just like the modern takeout customer, is less concerned with speed of service and more concerned with accuracy, order accuracy and quality. Which now that opens up the box for us to be able to look at doing a drive-through wing. It makes it much more plausible endeavor. But yeah, we have some unique ideas we're playing around with, and that might be something we push to a proof of concept in the next couple of years for sure.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. Uh, that was a wealth of information. I appreciate you spending some time with our listeners today and uh, hope to visit one of your locations and try the food.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate you having Thanks. me. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good one.